0: Thank you so much to Pastor John and Pastor Becky and Pastor Juergen and Leanne in spirit, wherever they are. Um, It's such an honor and privilege to be here and, um, yeah, just to be able to speak. So thank you so much. Tonight, I want to talk on the topic of healing. Yeah, so get ready. Um, I have heard people ask questions in the past several years Questions like does God have favorites? Is that why he only heals some people? Or is God trying to teach the person with the sickness or illness a lesson? Or if God is the ultimate healer, then why doesn't he just heal everybody? Heal, healed, 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 healed. If if he's capable, why can't he do that? So, my main question for tonight is why does God not always heal? And the reason I'm so passionate about this is because my husband, Andy, who's sitting right there in the front row looking very dapper. I don't think I've ever used the word dapper, by the way. (laughs) Um, So Andy went through something within the first four months of our marriage that was really difficult. And all of his life, he had struggled with back problems. Actually, before I met him, he had three back surgeries before I even knew him. So within the first four months of being married, his back pain was getting worse and worse to the point where it was unbearable for him to stand or sit for long or short periods of time. So he went in, got a bunch of MRIs, x-rays done, and the surgeons concluded that he needed um, a major back surgery, one of the most major back surgeries that the surgeon had ever performed. So we took that news and started preparing for the surgery and praying that it would go well. And as it was about three days before the surgery and I was sitting in my room just crying out to God, why does he have to go through this? Why, God, when you are the healer, why does he have to go through this? And I remember so clearly God spoke to me and said, Amy, you and Andy have accepted the surgery. You've accepted it. You've just taken it and accepted it. And then he revealed to me again, reminded me that he is the healer. So I told that to my husband and we got a little more hope, a little more faith, but it's still hard when the reality is the surgery's coming in three days. So the night before the surgery, we had Matt and Jen Stack over at our house, a couple from North Campus, and they were saying, what is the best scenario that could happen tomorrow? And my husband said, the best scenario is that they would open him up and realize he was already fused, already healed, and all they would have to do is take out the old hardware from his previous surgery. So they said, okay, then we are going to believe for that. We're going to pray for that. So we prayed and we believed. And then the very next day during the surgery, the surgeon opens him up. And that exact prayer that we prayed happened. The surgeon, yes, the surgeon was so shocked by what he saw that he had to call in another surgeon. And this is a world-renowned surgeon. People fly in from all over the world to get operated on by him. So, Just the fact that he opened it up and was so shocked and had to get a second opinion just shows how miraculous our God is. So I found that faith was the key for our story. And as I've been reading through scriptures and reading through the Bible over and over, I see that faith is always the common denominator when it comes to healing so, I want to quickly read a story in Luke chapter 8, verse thir- 43. Now, a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? Verse 46, somebody touched me for I perceived power going out for me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And Jesus said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Now, I love this story because this woman, she didn't question Jesus. She didn't go up to him and say, Jesus, is it possible for you to heal me? Or Jesus, is it your will to heal me? Because I know in my past, I've prayed those prayers. I prayed safe prayers that have no faith attached to it. Saying, God, if it's your will, please heal me or please heal my mom with no faith. But this woman, she goes not questioning, knowing that if she only touches Jesus' clothing, not even Jesus, just his clothing, that she will be healed instantly. Talk about some faith. Are you guys with me? Awesome. So if faith is vital to healing, then how do we get faith? How do we get it? If we believe in God, that's one thing. But how can we actually have faith that God is going to heal? So one thing that I've noticed is that to get faith, we need to know God's character. We need to know him. It wasn't until I got down on my knees in my room by myself, put on worship music, and got in the presence of God that I was reminded of who he is that I was reminded that he is a healer. One of my favorite passages of scripture that reveals God as healer is when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And he teaches them to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we think of heaven, we know there is no sickness. There is no pain in heaven. So Jesus is telling his disciples, pray like this. Pray that just as it is in heaven, that is what's going to happen on earth. There's no sickness in heaven, so pray that there won't be sickness on earth. So we see by this, we know by this scripture that it is always God's will to heal. That is always his will. But he's saying, we have to pray for it to happen. We have to pray with faith attached to it that it will happen. Now, during Andy's first surgery, when he was 18 years old, um, he didn't know what healing was or know that he could be healed. And then during his second and third surgeries, he knew what healing was but had no faith. He had accepted the surgery. Now, his fourth surgery, he accepted it until the day before the surgery. And I remember seeing a shift in my husband, that when he was praying, there was a shift in his, in his language, a shift in what he was saying, a shift in his spirit that I could see. And he told me that that was the first time that he ever believed that God could heal him. So I know that some of you in here are probably dealing with the sickness right now, or maybe Maybe someone close to you, a friend, a close family member, is dealing with a sickness. And maybe you're thinking um, that it's easy for me to stand up here and say this because the healing has already taken place. But a month ago, we found out that um, another bone spur has come up in Annie's back. And they're asking for a fifth surgery, (laughs) But I am here to tell you that no matter how many times the devil brings sickness back, no matter how many times he's saying that another surgery has to take place, that God will always heal him. That God will always heal. And we will always stand on that word. We will stand and joy. it in peace, knowing that that is who God is, that he is for us, not against us, that by his stripes, we are healed. So let's give God a shout of praise for who he is. Thank you, God. Amen. Well, I am going to stop before that Jeopardy music comes on, because it's probably 10 seconds away.
1: So, thank you. Thank you so much. Come on, Amy Pugh, everybody. Woo! Come on. You know what, Amy, that was phenomenal. Way to get the house rolling and rocking and moving. And, guys, I, I just want to remind you what I, what I, we love And the first time I ever got to share, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity, was that we are a crowd that doesn't just sit back and let you entertain us. We engage the speaker. We shout down the speaker, you know. When she's shaming the devil, you yell, shame the devil. Okay? You're shaming the devil up here. So that was amazing. I'm pretty excited for our next speaker who we're going to shout down, but this one doesn't need any shouting down because she is a firecracker on legs. She is a faithful my city youth pastor and leader, an amazing woman of God. Would you help me welcome up,
2: Ashley Robbins! All the single ladies, 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 i I'm doing Michael, well, Whoever played that, you crazies. How y'all doing? Okay, I have to, I have, hang on. I gotta get started. I got nine minutes and 55 seconds, okay, let's go. All right, first of all, before I get started, I wanna just echo what Amy said too, is we wanna just thank Pastor Eugen and Leanne. I know that they're traveling and they're with their family, but um, we, it's just an honor to be asked to be up on this stage because I, I know that the sacrifices that they've made and there's been sacrifices that we don't see that they've made for this stage and for this house, for the call of God that's on their life, and I am so thankful for them and their incredible team, all their pastors here, so let's give them a round of applause. Cool. Okay. Let's open up the word. (laughs) All right. So if you guys have your Bibles, I'm going to start. Oh, actually, I should tell what I'm talking about. That's kind of good. So tonight I wanted to kind of address something that's dear to my heart um, and something that I feel like I can speak from authority on because it's something that I've walked through in my world. um, And it's, does God even hear my prayer? Um, and it's a question I think a lot of people ask because sometimes we pray things and things like Amy was saying, sometimes things don't happen how we want them to or um, in the time that we think they're going to happen. So we're going to open up in James five sixteen through 18. Wait, water just dripped on me. That was weird. Okay. Uh, those sprinklers better not go off. I'll have an Afro puff the size of China. <laughs> It'll be a sad time. All right, here we go. In James chapter five, verse 16 through 18, let's go. It says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced fruit. So I'm gonna skip over real quick. We're gonna jump into Isaiah and then we'll come back to that. Isaiah 62 verses six through seven in the message version, it says, I've posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem, day and night they keep at it, praying, calling out, reminding God to remember. They are to give him no peace until he does what he said and until he makes Jerusalem famous as a city of praise. So how many of you guys in here would say that you actually have a really good memory? anyone? All the ladies should raise your hand because I know we all have good memories. And I like to remind Kenny of things. So here's the deal. A couple weeks ago, a couple weeks, okay, actually, let me start back. Kenny and I got married seven years ago. And seven years ago, I told him, I will do anything for you. I will make your lunches. I will clean your house, but I will not take out the garbage. And that's just a personal preference. I said, I didn't say I will not. I say I prefer to not, okay? I wasn't being a diva. I just prefer not to take out the garbage. It's like my thing. I'm like a, I don't know, a germaphobe. So I told Kenny, Kenny's like, okay, yes, I promise to always take out the garbage. So a couple weeks ago... <laughs> a couple weeks ago, I'm buzzing around the house, like doing laundry, you know, just doing my little thing and doing laundry. And I noticed the garbage was a little full. So I was like, hang on a second. Now, I always do say respectfully. So I'm like, hey, hun, when you get a chance, can you take out the garbage? So I'm like buzzing by and I didn't really hear him say anything. I'm like, Okay. I don't really hear an answer. Maybe he heard me. I'm not sure. So I go back, and I'm walking through, and I'm like, oh, the garbage is still there. So then I'm like, okay, peace, patience, everything I need, the fruits of the Spirit. So I, so I see him again. And so again, very respectfully, I say, hey, babe, can you please make sure you grab the garbage real quick? I really need that garbage taken out of here. It stinks. And I'm like, when you get a second, can you do that? So I walk away again. I'm like, oh, I didn't hear an answer. So the third time I come back, and the garbage was gone. Okay, let's give it up for Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> but I say that funny story because here's the thing. Just because I didn't hear an answer from him doesn't mean he didn't hear me. And I, whoa. <laughs> and sometimes what we do. <laughs> Sometimes what we do as people with our relationships with God is that we pray out, we cry out for something. God, I need you to move in my school. God, I need you to move in my life. God, I need this. And we pray out to God and we expect this answer. And when he doesn't answer us, we get like, whoa, wait, did he hear me? And sometimes we can get this place of insecurity that just because there wasn't an answer in the time and in the shape and the form that we wanted it, we think God didn't hear us. And some of you guys know some of my testimony, and it's been funny because there's been seasons in my life where I have prayed, I have cried out to God, I have declared things, and boom, those things happen right away. The next day, miracles, wonders, all these awesome things, in a moment at the altar, all these wonderful things, things changing. But then there's been seasons in my life where I've cried out to God for something, and it didn't, it didn't happen. And when I was a little girl, I was seven years old, I grew up in a, uh, a loving home, but a super dysfunctional home. And... Um, I found Jesus when I was seven, so it was awesome. I found a great church in Seattle. In fact, my best friend's here from Seattle visiting. And I got saved. I found out, you know what, God hears our prayers. God loves us. Um, pray to God. There's, there's gifts and miracles he has for us. And I remember being like, okay, cool. God hears our prayers. There's power in prayer. I'm gonna do this. So I'd go home and I had a very yucky, yucky household. And um, I would sit in the closet at night, upset, scared, praying on my little knees. I remember sitting on my shoes in my closet, God, I know you're up there. I really need you to change my life. I need you to change my mom. My mom's bipolar. She's schizophrenic. She's mentally ill. There's really funky things happening in my world. God, please, please, please change this. I need you here. And for 11 years, not a lot changed, but it was funny because about halfway through my life and, you know, things would go up and then they would go down and things would be awesome and then they would be bad. But halfway through my life, when I was like 11 or 12, God spoke to my heart and he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I remember in that moment, I had this revelation. That was my answer. God's answer came in the form of a promise. So I wanna talk tonight about the fact that sometimes we might not get an answer in the shape that it needs to be, but that doesn't mean that he hasn't promised us that thing. His promise, his answer is right here. 2,000 years ago when he gave his son on the cross, that was the answer, that was our promise. And I am happy to say I will give the testimony that my mom found Jesus. She has accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior and I'm praising God. I'm believing for her deliverance and her miracle. But let me tell you what, the enemy would try and trick people and try and trick you and say, you know what? It's not really worth praying because God doesn't really hear you. Or here's the other thing he'll do. He'll say, I know who you are. Why would you even pray? God's not gonna answer your prayer. You're not that holy. I know what you did yesterday. I saw what you did, whatever. I see you and and disqualifies you. And so then what happens is we think, God, is it even worth praying? I'm like, oh man, I don't know if he hears me. I don't know if I'm even qualified to ask for a miracle. But it's funny because going back to in James where it says um, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a prophet, if you don't know. And he prayed and he prayed and the weather changed for three years. Okay, that's a pretty powerful prayer. Honestly, let's just talk about it. He prayed and those clouds got bound up for three years. But the funny thing is, the thing I wanna emphasize is it says he was a man with a nature just like us. He wasn't anything special or crazy. He was a man that loved God, believed God, had faith, like Amy said, and prayed a fervent prayer, believing that God heard his prayer and God showed up and did it. So tonight, I just wanna leave you with the fact that god hears our prayer and even if it doesn't come in the answer or the form or what you think it should look to his promise That's where your answer can be. There's been times even in my life now I'm praying for things for our ministry with my city and the things. And I'm like, okay, God, uh, see, it doesn't look exactly how I was thinking it was going to look. Or certain things, whatever we're trying to plan or do. But God shows up in ways and reminds me of promises. That this generation has a purpose. That you have a purpose. Those are the promises. Those are the things that you can rely on for answers in your world to hold on to until things do change. Amen? Amen? Amen. I'm done.
1: Come on, Ashley Robbins! Woo! Man. Ashley, that's amazing. You crammed like 20 minutes into 10. That was unbelievable. <laughs> so clear, so awesome. And I've seen a, a powerful theme tonight. You know, it's it's so cool to see what what my city's getting to hear and what, and I don't know if you noticed this, but we have every campus represented tonight. We just had a north at the beginning and we had a central and our next speaker. He's a double threat kind of guy. He serves faithfully at South Campus on the worship team and MDs with that. His wife is a powerhouse. She's everywhere at all times. It's crazy. Like everywhere, She's always at the church serving and saving people and bringing people to church. She's out of control. But Mike also, on top of worship and being married to Katie Yeager, which is amazing too, is one of our society young adults phenomenal leaders as well. And he is working with college students and young adults. And uh, I got the privilege of hearing him do a 10-minute preach at Party in the Desert. And he just blew the roof off the place. Come on. So, would you guys help me welcome up our last and final speaker for tonight, the one and only Mike Yeager?
0: Okay, rolling. okay, and okay. Like this. Tag team.
3: I don't know what that music was, Michael Coe. No more buffoonery, this is serious time. Hey, such an honor to be with you guys. Um, you know, before I get started, I do. Uh, it really is um, a great honor to be up here. You know, I mean, uh, Jürgen Matesius and John Heinrichs and Drew Davies and David Chittick and Scott Hussero, Andy Bennett, Mark Cullen, Matt Tuggle. I mean, these guys are like uh, heroes in the faith to me. So to be up here sharing this stage and um, speaking into this mic really is a great honor. So thank you so much for having me. Um, so the question we're going to tackle is, um, it's an important one. We've all had it at one point or another. And it's, what do I do with my doubts? Okay, what do I do with my doubts? So we're going to try to answer this question by looking at a pretty famous encounter that Jesus has in Matthew 11, okay, starting in verse 2. So if you want to turn there, Matthew 11. And uh, it's, it's um, Jesus talking with John the Baptist. Well, not really through some messengers, we'll get there, but... Um, and John the Baptist finds himself in the midst of some very, very serious doubting, okay? So we're going to read Matthew 11, uh, starting in verse 2, and it should be up on the screen behind me. And when John heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Amen? So we're going to look at this story. We're going to look at three different things. We're going to look, number one, at why is John doubting in the first place? What are the circumstances surrounding his doubt? Second, we're going to look at how John handles his doubt. And lastly and most importantly, we're going to look at how Jesus responds to his doubt, okay? So first of all, why is John doubting in the first place? Well, we see right away in verse 2 that he's in a pretty dark spot. He's in prison, okay? And we know from earlier on in Matthew, Matthew 4.12, says that he's been in prison since the beginning of Jesus' Galilean ministry, okay? So that's probably about a year, So it's not just like a little two-day bender in the holding tank at the county jail after a DUI. Like this is like, John is like deep in prison, okay? And so he finds himself in this dark place very seriously doubting, right? And that's the very first thing we can take from this story is our doubt is always circumstantial in nature, okay? Doubt is always a product of the circumstances around you, right? I've never heard anybody say, man, God is doing so much in my life. I wonder if he's real, right? When the sun is shining... And all is right in the world and God is blessing you. Those aren't the times we doubt. We doubt when, um, you know, the world seems dark. We see something on TV, maybe that we just can't rationalize how a good God would let this happen. Or maybe we're experiencing some personal turmoil, like uh, losing a job or some personal tragedy, right? Those are the moments that we doubt, right? So what we can learn, first of all, from uh, John the Baptist is that our doubt is always circumstantial in nature first, okay? Now... Paul gives us a great method to combat this, okay? And uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 5, he says, we walk by faith, not by sight, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. Now, most Christians think that what this means is that as Christians, we just bury our heads in the sand and we don't care what we see, don't care what science says, don't care what culture says, don't care what our coworkers say, we're just gonna believe. And that's not at all what Paul is saying, okay? And uh, I'll give you, to, to kind of illustrate it, I'll, I'll I'll put it to you this way, okay? So I fly a good bit for work, you know, I've been on an airplane a bunch of times, nothing new to me. Um, and uh, I know how safe I am on an airplane, okay? I have, a, I have a math degree. I understand probability and statistics. I know that I'm safer on an airplane than just about anywhere else. But when we're on that runway and we start zooming down the tarmac, my heart starts racing a little bit. My hands get a little clammy. And when we break with the ground, I'm just like death grip on the seat rest, right? <laughs> And why? Why is that? The reason why is because of what I see around me, right? I look out the window and I see the ground getting smaller. I see the shadow of the airplane shrinking on the tarmac. I see the cars turning into little bitty ants, right? So my circumstances, what I see around me produces doubt in my safety, in my mind, right? So what do I do to combat that doubt? I put my faith in what I know to be true. I know, mathematically speaking, I'm safer on this airplane than I am anywhere else, right? So when um, sight produces doubt in my life, what I do is I put my faith in what I know to be true, right? And Jesus himself taught this in Matthew 6, okay? Jesus was confronted with a bunch of people that were doubting very seriously God's ability to provide for them, take care of them. And Jesus said, ye have little faith, consider the lilies of the field, right? Consider, think about it, think it through. And he presents this incredibly easy to follow rational argument. He says, consider the lilies of the field, think about how biologically complex they are, how much... Uh, creative energy God has poured into them. Now look at you, how much more creative energy God has poured into you, how much more biologically complex you are, and then think whether or not God's gonna provide for you or, or not, right? So Jesus um, presents this incredibly easy, um, uh, easy to follow argument for these people who are struggling with doubt to follow and put their faith in what, what um, they know to be true, right? So first thing we learn from this passage in uh, Matthew is that um, doubt is always circumstantial in nature, right? So the second thing I wanna, I wanna look at is how John deals with his doubt. Now, this is a short point, but it's foundational, so don't miss it, okay? He brings his doubts honestly to Jesus, right? A lot of us, we just try to sweep, um, you know, uh, doubts underneath the rug of our hearts, and, you know, if we just kind of grit our teeth long enough, they'll just go away, right? But that's not what John the Baptist says. He's just honest. You know, he finds himself in this terrible spot and just says, Look, God, I'm struggling, man. I'm really struggling. So, Jesus, I just need to know, are you real, Right? And lastly, and most importantly, I want to look at Jesus' response, okay? And I want you to hear, if you don't hear anything else, hear me on this. God will answer your doubts, okay? And here's how I know this. I know this for two reasons. I know it from, because there's a billion biblical precedents, but I also know it from personal revelation, okay? So, you know, if we just look at this passage that we're talking about, right, what, Jesus answers John's doubts, right? He sends the messengers back and says, tell John what you see and hear, right? Sends them back, Right? And then it, he goes even further. Even right after that, he ends up praising John the Baptist as the greatest man to ever be born ever, right? So God has no problem with doubters, no problem at all. And, and if I had, I wish I had more time. I don't, but it's all over the Bible. Thomas doubted, right? We all know the story of doubting Thomas. And what did Thomas say? I will not believe unless I can put my fingers through the holes in his hands. And everybody gives poor Thomas a hard time. But what did Jesus do? Jesus said, Thomas, if that's what you need, man, go ahead, do it, right? He answered his doubt. Uh, Peter doubted when he was walking on water. And Jesus didn't just bail on him. He reached down and pulled him up out of the water. Mary Magdalene doubted at the tomb in John 20. Jesus showed up before. Um, there's a father in Mark chapter 9 with a, a demon-possessed son. And, and Jesus says, do you believe that I can um, heal him? And the guy's like, I mean, I, I want to. I think so, yeah. And Jesus didn't just say, well, come back when you have more faith and we'll get it taken care of. No, he healed that boy on the spot, right? Uh, Gideon doubted and said, I need a sign. And God gave him a sign. And Gideon said, well, give me another sign. God said, okay. (laughs) Abraham doubted, right? So there is doubters all through the Bible. And I'll drive it home with this, okay? Most people say that that the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament, right? And that is true if you look at, you know, letters or, or books or whatever. But it's not true if you look at word count, content, okay? If you look at actual content, Luke contributed more to the New Testament than any one man. Luke wrote the book of Luke, and he wrote Acts, and originally, it was one seamless narrative, okay? The, the assimilators of the Bible split it up um, where uh, the story of Jesus ends and the story of the new church begins, so they could put Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all together, right? And then Acts comes next. And we look at, and so if you look at the words in Luke, it makes up 27% of the New Testament. Well, all of Paul's letters make up 23%. So why did Luke write Luke and Acts? Well, we can find that in the very, very beginning where he says, Theophilus, I am writing this to you so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught, Right? So Luke wrote 27% of the New Testament to this one guy who was having doubts. The whole thing, Luke and Acts, is just an account to alleviate the doubts of one man, okay? So I know that God will answer your doubts because there's an incredible biblical precedence, but I also know, because I know personally, okay, you have never in your life met a bigger doubter than me, right? So you, you guys are here. You see what it's like. Everybody yells at you, you know, yeah, it's always like, yeah, yeah, yeah oh, that's great, that's good. When I got to church here, I was this guy. I would sit in, in the back like this. And, and, and while everybody else was saying, wow, oh yeah, so good. I was like, mm-mm, nope. Uh-uh. That's dumb. Nope. Right? That was me. You have never met a bigger doubter in your life. But what I have seen, and I brought them honestly before the Lord, okay? And I have seen God systematically answer my doubts. And not just like, not just kind of like, let them go away. Like, if I don't think about them long enough, maybe they'll just dissolve away. No, God has really answered my doubts, given me answers to some of the really hard questions that we all struggle with. And so, that's what I want to leave you with tonight, is that if we understand the circumstances surrounding our doubt, we bring them honestly before the Lord, and we wait for his response, we can be confident that he will answer us. Matt Tuggle, back to you.
1: Come on, Mike Yeager. Soon to be Dr. Yeager in engineering. Come on. Such a, uh, you can take a seat. Such a powerful night. It's amazing how three people didn't talk to each other and we're in our FAQ series, Frequently Asked Questions, and there was a, I started to allude to it because I knew what Mike was, Mike was the only one I had pre-known what he was gonna talk about because we were talking about it and uh, I just saw this theme over and over and it was, what do I do with doubt? Doubt about healings, doubt about my prayer. What do I do when I, when I feel like God is so far and he, and he doesn't hear me? Can I just tell you that the Holy Spirit does that not for them, but for somebody in this room tonight. Because somebody came into this room tonight, and I'm so confident of this, and, and you were feeling doubt. Doubt that God could still love you. Doubt that God would really be there for you if you really trusted Him with this situation. Doubt that He's still for you. Can I just tell you, I love how Mike talked about statistics and I don't think it's a mistake, and the Holy Spirit just kind of whispers to this while they're talking, I don't think it's a mistake that <clears throat> the single number one most quoted scripture in the entire world is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whomsoever would believe in him would not perish, but step into eternal life. Can I just tell you, if you're in the room and you have doubts, you are a whomsoever. And God loves you so much that whatever you're walking through right now, doubt, maybe it's a mistake, some secret issue. Maybe you just feel like the world's been beating you up and you're like, God, where are you? Can I tell you that God wants you to know that he loves you? And that he'll never leave you or forsake you. And whomsoever will believe in him will not perish. You won't perish by the things you're facing. You won't perish by the mistakes maybe you made. But I truly know in my heart that some people came in here today. And the Holy Spirit set it all up for you. Because he's saying, son, daughter, don't doubt me. I'm for you. I love you. I forgive you for that thing. No strings attached. I just, I'll wash you clean. I know what you're facing right now and I want you to know that I'll carry you through it. I'm for you. I'm with you. That's the promises of God. And he brought you here on purpose.